Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Discovery. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you learn about how to talk to someone who denies a scientific reality like COVID-19 or climate change with help from author Lee McIntyre and a scientific explanation of raining sulfur in the biblical city of Sodom. Let's satisfy some curiosity. By now, many of us have found ourselves in tense conversations with friends or family members who deny some scientific reality, whether that's to do with climate change, evolution, or the COVID-19 pandemic. Those conversations can be frustrating. Believe me, I know. And we don't always get them right. But today's guest might be able to help. Lee McIntyre is a research fellow at the Center for Philosophy and History of Science at Boston University and the author of the new book, How to Talk to a Science Denier, Conversations with Flat Earthers, Climate Deniers, and Others Who Defy Reason. And to start our conversation, Ashley asked for a basic clarification. For the first question, I just wanted to lay out, are there really people out there who flat out deny science and others who don't? Or do we all kind of have biases and blind spots in different places? You raise a very good, tricky point there, because I've never met anybody who's a science denier. They all identify as a skeptic or, you know, that they're more scientific than the scientists. So the idea of science denier, it's not a good word to use when you're talking to them in person, as you probably know. But, you know, the other question is, Science deniers tend to be topical. They tend to have, you know, one, maybe two things that they don't like, but the rest of science they're usually fine with. So there's a distinction between somebody who's a science denier, like an anti-vaxxer or a flat earther or a a climate denier, and somebody who's, you know, anti-science. I I don't know, maybe Ted Kaczynski. I mean, I, I can't really think of anybody who's just, you know, against all science. You know, I went to a flat earth convention and they flew there on planes. They were live tweeting the show on their phone, which had satellite traffic. You know, that's another question, right? But I mean, they're not anti-science. They use science all the time. It's just whatever particular area science denier doesn't like, that's their thing. I'm wondering if there's always a conspiracy or some kind of conspiratorial thinking behind any of this. Like there always has to be some small group of people, you know, lying. And I'm wondering how much harder have we made it as a society when we live in a place where like we've seen governments and politicians and celebrities lie and have found out mm-hmm. that we've been lied to. And you, you, people will point to doctors a hundred years ago saying cigarette smoking is yeah. okay. And it's like, well, scientists lied then. So uh, we've almost created this whole environment where we're primed to wonder if people are lying and, and how does that work right. against us? And, and how big of a factor is that in some of this thinking? I, I think it's an enormous factor because remember that, it's about distrust in the first place. And what's a conspiracy theory other than, you know, the biggest manifestation of distrust. Now, conspiracy theories have been around forever. I mean, the, the first documented conspiracy theory was about Nero burning Rome, <laughs> right? I mean, the 64 AD. I mean, that, that's a long time ago. In fact, he wasn't even in town when he got back home. He was so angry that he invented a conspiracy theory that it was the Christians who had burned Rome, and which justified burning Christians at the stake. So conspiracy theories go back a long way and, you know, have always been sort of horrible, right? The consequences can be sort of horrible. Surprisingly, every instance of science denial is based on a conspiracy theory. They may not bring it up 
in a way that you would think it is a conspiracy theory, but there always is one. They don't want to admit it sometimes. Now, some people will just admit it. Some people will say, yeah, I believe in conspiracy theories. Uh, in fact, I can tell you my top 10 conspiracy theories. They, they may have no problem with that. Other times they're a little slicker. Um, I'm having another email exchange right now with a guy who's a um, publicist for climate deniers. So he's not just a climate denier. He's helping them to be much smoother about it. So I've got very little patience for this guy, right? He's not a victim. He's out there amplifying things. And, you know, I, I am pushing him because, I, you know, I, I won't always respond to him because, you know, I've got a life uh, to do other than that. And he's always got something more for me to read. Uh, but I have said, you know, how could it possibly be the case that all of these hundreds of thousands of scientists in all the nations of the world are lying? I mean, wouldn't they have to be? Are they all in on it? Really? And just, you know, the two or three scientists that you're working with, who, by the way, are not experts in climate change, they're the ones who have found the right answer. How could that be? You know, and he hasn't directly answered that, but I, I'm going to keep trolling him back because I know there's a conspiracy theory underneath it. I mean, there, there would have to be, unless just all the scientists were duped as well. Is that the way to do it then, is to ask questions like that? I think, but it depends on the audience, right? And I mean, I listen 10 times more than I question and listen first, because as I said, especially face-to-face, if you've listened to somebody for 10 minutes, they will eventually take a breath and say, what do you think? Or am I right? Or, you know, something like that, right? So um, I think it is appropriate to challenge somebody on those grounds. There's a terrific paper in Nature Human Behavior in summer 2019 by uh, Cornelia Bache and uh, Philip Schmid that talks about two ways to convince science deniers. And they both work. These are both, there's empirical evidence that these both work. One is called content rebuttal. When if you're an expert in whatever the subject is, and you, again, you approach it in the right way, you can get them to listen. But the other is technique rebuttal. And it's just as effective as content rebuttal, by the way. And it's based on those five tropes. Lee told us that the five tropes of science denial are cherry picking, where a person only considers evidence that supports their idea and they ignore other evidence. Conspiracy theories, which are defined as an explanation that makes references to hidden malevolent forces seeking to advance some nefarious aim. Reliance on fake experts and the denigration of real experts. Illogical reasoning or the use of a fallacy like straw man, red herring, false analogy, false dichotomy, jumping to a conclusion. And finally, the insistence that science must be perfect, which if you've ever listened to one of our episodes, you probably know is not a thing. It's virtually impossible for science to prove that a thing happens 100% of the time. But that fact doesn't stop science deniers from using it as a trope. Cherry-picking evidence, conspiracy theories, illogical reasoning, etc. If you learn what those five tropes are, and then you go talk to science deniers, you can say, you know, let them talk and then say, but isn't that cherry-picking? Or how's that not a conspiracy theory? Or wait a minute, you believe this guy's evidence, but not this other person. Isn't that inconsistent? Or why do you expect science to be perfect? The great thing about that study is it has scripts in it of what they used. Now, the study was done online, 
And it was done with people I would consider to be the audience for science deniers, people who had just heard misinformation and they were just getting back to them immediately. So, of course, I wanted to make the job 10 times harder. I read this study and said, okay, now I wonder if the same result will work for hardcore people face to face. And that's what I've been trying to do ever since. And um, it's it's a challenge. (laughs) So practice good listening ask questions, and give content and technique rebuttal a try. And just remember that you won't change someone's mind overnight. Again, that was Lee McIntyre, author of the new book, How to Talk to a Science Denier, Conversations with Flat Earthers, Climate Deniers, and Others Who Defy Reason. He'll be back tomorrow to talk about the role identity plays in science denial. Around 3,600 years ago, Tal el-Hammam was a bustling city-state in the Jordan Valley near the Dead Sea. It thrived for 1,500 years until a devastating event destroyed the city and contaminated the surrounding farmland with salt. What had once been an extremely fertile area became completely barren overnight. Humans left the region for at least 500 years afterward, and researchers have struggled to explain what happened. Now they think they've figured out an otherworldly explanation, and one that matches an ancient story you might have already heard. Some historians have suggested the disaster parallels the biblical account of the destruction of the city of Sodom, one of the two cities in the Old Testament that were said to have been destroyed by God. And destroyed it was. Tal el-Hammam was surrounded by a mud brick wall that was 13 feet or 4 meters thick and 100 feet or 33 meters high. But almost all of the wall had been sheared off. And within the ruins, archaeologists found melted shards of pottery and precious metals, all covered with salt-heavy ash. They also found some strange materials, shocked quartz, which is a material that's common in nuclear bomb testing sites. Also, tiny spheres containing iron and silica called spherules and nanoscale diamonds. For these odd materials to form, the temperature would have been over 2,000 degrees Celsius. That's the surface temperature of a small red dwarf star. So what happened? These signs pointed to some kind of extremely high-energy, high-temperature event. Scientists think it was a cosmic airburst caused by a large meteor exploding in the air above the city. Cosmic airbursts happen all the time, but they're usually small. When a meteor enters Earth's atmosphere, friction from air molecules causes it to heat up. As the meteor hits the denser and denser air lower down in the atmosphere, it can become superheated and explode. That's what scientists think happened to Tal el-Hammam. Because of the extreme temperatures, it's unlikely that the cause was an Earth-based phenomenon like an earthquake or a volcanic eruption. And the technology at the time wasn't advanced enough for the explosion to be human-made. So instead, scientists realized the most likely explanation was that it was a meteor. But since no impact crater was found, they figured a cosmic airburst fit the data best. The research team realized that something about the cosmic airburst story sounded familiar like the biblical story of the destruction of Sodom. The details of the story, such as fire and brimstone falling from the sky, seem to match what an eyewitness would have seen as a result of a cosmic airburst. Many archaeologists and historians are debating whether the destruction of Tal el-Hammam might just be the source of the story. 
a 3,600-year-old mystery solved. Let's do a quick recap of what we learned today, starting with the fact that according to Lee McIntyre, there really isn't such a thing as a quote-unquote science denier. There are people who identify as being skeptical about something specific, like vaccine efficacy or the causes of climate change. And almost every instance of science denial is based on a conspiracy theory. If you want to engage with someone you disagree with about something like this, the first step is to listen and listen closely to what they're saying. Right. And then there's a proven approach you can take to help someone challenge their own ideas about something. It's called technique rebuttal, and it's based on challenging one of the five tropes of science denial. Cherry-picking evidence, illogical reasoning, relying on conspiracy theories and fake experts, and insisting that science must be perfect. Listen to what they say and ask, but isn't that cherry-picking evidence? Or isn't it inconsistent to believe one person's evidence but not this other person's? Flip the script and call them out, and you could plant the seed for them to come around. And, you know, this isn't going to happen in one conversation. This probably isn't going to happen with a stranger. But I will say that this has happened with me. Yeah, didn't you do this with one of your college friends that was into this weird alternative nutrition stuff? And then you kept telling him over time that it wasn't smart. And then eventually you got an email from them out of the blue, like, hey, my brother's doing this and I'm worried about it because it's not good. And then you were like, wait, <laughs> I've been telling you that for years. That's exactly what happened. Yep. It was alternative medicine, by the way. The nutrition I wouldn't be so worried about, but. She was like in injecting hydrogen peroxide into her veins and stuff. It was bad. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the holidays are coming up. Keep in mind that you can use these tactics, but maybe don't expect to sit down at the Thanksgiving dinner table and say, hey, think about these things. And then have that person be like, OK, I'm going to go get a vaccine right now. Or, OK, I totally believe you. Like, it's a thing that'll happen over time. And I also don't want you to feel like you're bad at it if you don't see results right away. Because me personally, I have family members who won't get vaccinated. And I work full time as a science communicator. You've heard this show. I've talked to epidemiologists. I've interviewed vaccine researchers. I can't get certain people to get the vaccine. It sucks. It's really hard. And it's really hard on relationships. And I'm not a fan. But I'm trying. I had one conversation recently and and at the end of it, I said, will you at least please think about getting the vaccine? And he was like, yeah, OK, you know, I'll think about it. I don't know if that means anything in the long run, but it is progress in my mind. So like, yeah, just, you know, try and stay vigilant and don't expect miraculous results because it is hard to change someone's mind on this stuff. Honestly, don't expect to feel satisfied. You're not going to leave these conversations satisfied. Yeah. And also one one tiny bit of advice I would also offer. Don't do it at the Thanksgiving dinner table. There is a place and time for this. <laughs> It is not when you're trying to bond with family members. That is not the time to do it. The time to do it is maybe after dinner or when it's just the two of you. So you're not taking up the entire living room conversation where I've done that before. Yep. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah people do react differently when there is an audience. Mm -hmm. It's like the difference between arguing with somebody publicly on Twitter and sliding into their DMs, as it were. Right. Huge difference in how they respond. Definitely. Wishing everybody luck. And a happy holiday season. And there'll be an encouraging story Lee will come back with tomorrow to maybe provide a little bit more positive energy towards this. Love that story. Love that story. Speaking of stories, we also learned that in the Old Testament book of Genesis, Sodom is one of two cities said to have been destroyed by God for its wickedness. Now scientists may have found the city that the story was based on. Tal al-Hammam was a bustling city-state in the Jordan Valley near the Dead Sea, 
and scientists believed it was destroyed by a cosmic airburst created by a large meteor exploding in the air above the city. That may have explained the fire and brimstone falling from the sky in the biblical account. I love scientific explanations for historic events. Historical events. I don't remember which is which. And it's not taking away from the story either, right? It's like, yeah, a a natural disaster absolutely destroyed the city. And if you believe in the Bible, God definitely could have sent this natural disaster to destroy the city. Absolutely. Like, it doesn't take away from it at all. But there's this scientific explanation that we can find evidence for. And I think that's super cool. You stole the words right out of my mouth. (laughs) Good. Just because it was a meteor doesn't mean God didn't send it. God didn't send it. Yep. (laughs) That's what I said. Those are words. The Lord works in mysterious ways. And a cosmic airburst could be one of them. (laughs) That's right. The writer for today's reigning sulfur story was Brianna Brownell. Our managing editor is Ashley Hamer, who is also an audio editor on today's episode. Our producer and lead audio editor is Cody Goff. If there's one thing you can't deny, it's that you can join us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes. That's not science. That's just common sense. And until then, stay curious.